Johnny for sharing that word with us today, and good morning, Centerview Church. Um, my name's Katie, and it's my privilege to be here today and to share from the word of God. So before we get started, um, let's open up in prayer. So Heavenly Father, God, right now I ask that you would just speak out of me, Father. I pray that you would soften each of our hearts to hear from you, that our hearts and our minds would be open to whatever it is that you have for us today, God. And I just pray um, that, we, that we would be focused on you and that we would seek um, your voice today, Father. So I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so you've probably heard this passage before. Um, it's a pretty common passage that some churches like to read during offering, actually, which, um, so it's pretty common. You've probably heard it. And, but it's important to know exactly what this passage is saying and the context in which it's being said so that we don't fall into the temptation of taking this passage out of context or misunderstanding what Paul is trying to say. So this passage, as we just saw, outlines the principles of generous giving. And as I was preparing to share from this passage, I honestly began to feel pretty intimidated because this is a pretty um, tough subject to talk about. It's a, it's a pretty touchy subject for people, um, the, the subject of money, especially within the Christian community. And so I ask that you would please bear with me, and I pray that we would all have an open heart and mind to truly hear what it is that God's word has to say. So this passage is found in 2 Corinthians, which is one of Paul's epistles. He's writing this letter to the church in Corinth, which is the capital city of the Roman province, Achaia, sorry. And this church is actually a church that Paul had planted only a few years earlier on his second missionary journey. It's important to note that this church is primarily made up of Gentiles. And as you may know, there's been a huge cultural divide between the Jewish people and the Gentiles. And that's important to note because it's going to come up later in the passage. And at the time that Paul was writing this letter, there was a famine happening in Jerusalem. And many churches were giving to financially support the needs of these Jewish Christians. And as you may know, for the last few months here at Centerview, we've been going verse by verse through the book of Acts. And actually, a few, uh, few weeks ago, um, Pastor William spoke from Acts 11, specifically verses 27 to 30, which is when the prophets are foretelling that there's going to be a famine that will come and spread over the entire Roman world. And the passage later explains that Barnabas and Saul, or as we also know him as Paul, that, he collect, that they collected gifts to bring relief to these brothers and sisters living in Judea. So the passage that we're talking about today, actually, 2 Corinthians, where Paul is speaking about generous giving, is actually taking place in the middle of this situation in Acts, before the churches had given relief to these people suffering the, from the famine. The famine that Agabus prophesied would happen is happening here in this passage. So that gives you a bit of context. And as we know, um, spoiler alert, as we know from the end of the passage in Acts, that people do give to their brothers and sisters. But when I learned that this was the famine that was happening in Acts, I thought that was pretty interesting to see how scripture is all intertwined and it's important to note that context. And so here we find Paul in the middle of this situation from Acts before the relief has been given. And in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul calls on the Corinthians to give to help out these fellow believers in Jerusalem. And so now in the chapter right before this one, so chapter 8, as well as chapter 9, Paul is once again encouraging the people to give and to complete what they have committed to do. He's not mandating the church members to give, but he's encouraging them to be generous. You see, 
the giving of the Gentiles would not only express their concern for the new needy Jewish churches, churches in Judea, but their contribution to the kingdom would ultimately glorify God. This giving was a ministry. They were giving to a ministry of the church, and this money was being used to minister to people. And so more than this specific situation exactly, more than just this famine and, and what these Jewish people are going through, this passage actually shows us how God expects us to give to every ministry of the church. And so my first point today that we're going to be looking at is verses 6 to 9. And it's, I titled it, The Reward, because we're going to be looking at the reward of generosity. So Paul concludes verse 5, the verse right before our passage today, and he ends this verse by explaining that he wants their contribution to be a willing gift, not some sort of tax or charge that they have to pay. And with this in mind, he begins verse 6 by saying, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So by beginning with this phrase, the point is this, we see that Paul here is trying to get their attention that what he's about to say is really important and he wants the readers to focus on what he's trying to say. And so that's when Paul refers to a common agricultural saying, which some people believe that he gets from Proverbs 11 or Proverbs 22. But as I was studying this passage, I saw that Paul had also used a similar analogy in Galatians 6, where he talks about a man reaping what he sows. So Paul would have been sharing this message with many people who were involved in agriculture. So he was kind of speaking their language, you could say. And I mean, I don't see a whole lot of uh, farms here around Mississauga, but the message is still very much relevant for us today. And so farmers, when they would sow seed for the harvest, they would typically sow as much seed as possible in hopes that they would get the, the greatest harvest possible. It would be silly for a, a farmer to sow sparingly or to sow little seed and expect to get a huge crop. It just doesn't work like that. Like if I were to plant one vegetable seed, I couldn't expect that I was gonna grow enough vegetables to start my own produce business, right? Like the one seed just doesn't equate to that much harvest. And that's the essence of the metaphor Paul is using here. The farmer who sows little cannot hope for anything more than a meager harvest. But the one who sows with a generous hand will in due time reap a generous return. So the way that we give is what Paul is referring to here as sowing. And we can either give of our money, as the passage is referring to, but this also applies to how we give of our time and our giftings, you name it. We can either give sparingly or we can give generously. And so then the other half of this verse talks about reaping what we sow. So what exactly do we reap when we're generous? Well, as we're going to see more in this passage, we reap blessings that are both material and spiritual. Materially, we can trust that God, as we give, will provide for us. You know, the promise of Philippians 4.19, where it says, My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus, is made in the context of the generosity of the Philippians in the previous verses, in Philippians 4, 15 to 18. So as we give to God, we can trust that God will supply all that we need. And while the blessings that we reap can be material or money, like material things or money, it can be that, they're definitely not always that. And the blessings don't always come when we want it to or always come in, in while he we're here on earth. But God does bless people who are generous. And so another way that we can reap, um, that we can reap from sowing generosity is spiritually. We can trust that God will reward the giving heart both now and in eternity. And we're going to talk about that more in the following verses. 
So it's important, I wanted to point out, that this passage is used sometimes by people to manipulate and entice other people to give. And that the more that they give, the more they're going to get in return. And it appeals to this greed mindset of people and gives them a false idea that if they give more money, they're going to get more money. And while it may seem as though this is the message of that verse, this verse must be interpreted in light of what follows, um, in the verses that follow. And this is just a general, a general comment, but I always encourage you not to just look at one single verse on its own, but to look at the context of what's happening in the surrounding verses and the surrounding chapters, because if we don't, we can fall into the, te- into the temptation of misunderstanding what the message is trying to say. And so I want to make this clear. Paul is not encouraging the people to give so that they can become, so that they can be part of some sort of twisted investment strategy where the more they give, the more they're going to get. Um, you know, if the idea, like, if I give more to these needy people and to the church, then God's obviously going to bless me financially and give me all the money back and more, right? No, that's actually not what this passage is saying. And if you and I are giving from this place of wanting to gain more material prosperity, then we're only going to harvest spiritual poverty. And this reminds me of when I was a kid, and if there was something that I wanted or something I wanted to do, somewhere I wanted to go, if I wanted to go to a friend's house, for example, I would try and butter my parents up. They're actually here today. Sorry, Mom and Dad. Um, I'd try to butter them up, you know, by cleaning my room, doing the dishes, maybe even making dinner, right? And you know how it is. And I'd do this to try and trick them into saying yes to whatever it is I was going to ask them for later. And I would do this so that I could benefit, not, so that, not because I wanted to show love, service, or honor to my parents. Sometimes that's how we are with our money. We can have this same childish mindset with God and our finances that if we give more to him, then we can use that to our benefit and ask for more. And again, we do this for selfish ambition, not because we want to show love, service, or honor to God. This mindset is wrong and is not actually at all what Paul is encouraging here. And while he does make it clear that God can reward generosity with material abundance, as we're going to see in verse 8, there's a reason for this reward, and it's not for our own personal gain. So then, how, how should we give, how much should we give, and who should give? And so let's take a, ver- a look at verse 7. It says, Each one must give as he is decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So the first thing worth mentioning here is who should give. Paul begins by saying, each one must give. So every single person here, you and me, anyone who confesses that Jesus Christ is their personal Lord and Savior, you must give. This is exactly what the passage is saying. Each one who believes must give. It's it's simple. And this idea of giving generously doesn't just apply to people who have a lot of money or people who are in leadership or whatever other kind of criteria we want to make up. That's not at all what Paul is saying. He says, each one. Each one must give. And Paul's not just speaking to the, Corinth, to the church in Corinth as a whole, but to each individual whose contributions are going to make up this gift. You know, it's not enough for us to believe and want Centerview Church to be generous in our giving and to help the needy and use money to minister to people. That can't be done without each one of us contributing to this gift. Now, how much are they supposed to give? Paul says that each person must give as he has decided in his heart. 
This means that how much we give should be done and guided by the Holy Spirit. We should always be asking how much it is that he would want us to give. It has to be done from this inward conviction of the Spirit in our hearts. Every Christian should be a giver in accordance with what they have and what they can give. And I recognize that there are seasons in life sometimes that can be challenging, and maybe this means that we cannot give as much, but it's still important that we give. And Paul didn't want the Corinthians to give beyond their means. He wanted them to give obediently. And I want to make a really important distinction here because in this context, Paul is talking about giving an offering, which is completely separate to giving a tithe, where we give back to God what he has given to us. In in the Old Testament, in the Bible, we see that um, this is we see that a tithe is 10% of our income. And in this passage, Paul isn't saying, you should decide in your heart if you want to tithe or not. He's saying, you must decide how much to give after you've already tithed. This passage isn't debunking tithing, but it's actually encouraging people to give beyond their tithe to the ministry of the kingdom. Giving should be motivated by the purposes of our own heart. You see, we should give because we want to give and because God has put it in our heart to do so. The way that we spend our money reveals the purposes of our heart. You know, if I say that I love surfing, for example, um, but but, but if I say that I love God more than surfing, but then I go and spend all my money on surfboards and never give to the Lord as I'm supposed to, then the way that I'm spending my money actually reveals the purposes of my heart far more accurately than my words do. And in Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said it simply, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But what's more important than the amount that we give is the attitude in which we do so. Paul also says that we should not give reluctantly or under compulsion. And here he's echoing the message found in Deuteronomy 15, 10, which says, give generously to him, and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. If we feel obligated to give, if we resent the offering, if we dread the request, then we're not really being generous. Paul doesn't want the Corinthians to give because they feel pressured by him to do so. He wants them to give a voluntary gift. It would be like me giving Susie a gift for her birthday, right? And so there's a huge difference in me saying, here, Susie, here's this gift for you. I hope you like it. I remember when you said that you liked this or you wanted this, and I wanted to give you something special, as opposed to me saying, here's your birthday gift, Susie. I'm only giving it to you because my mom told me I had to, right? Like, there's a huge difference here in my attitude and my heart posture in giving the gift. And look, I'm not saying that if you don't feel like giving or if you feel obligated to give, then you shouldn't. Because I recognize that oftentimes we have to develop a discipline in our lives before it becomes a desire. But even having the heart posture of wanting to make giving generously a discipline in our lives reveals the motives of our heart and is worshipful to God. This is what it means to be a cheerful giver, which Paul here mentions that God loves. Cheerful giving, generosity, is an attitude of the heart, and this is what God is looking for and what he rewards. God loves a cheerful giver because that is exactly what he is, a cheerful giver. He is himself such a giver and desires to see this characteristic lived out among those who bear his image. I'm going to say it again, but God loves a cheerful giver because that is exactly what he is, a cheerful giver. God wouldn't call us to do something if that wasn't first who he is or what he's done. 
You see, God wants you to be generous in all areas of your life, in your time, in your giftings, in your giving. The truth is, there's nothing in your life that you have for any other reason other than God. And I know you may be thinking, well, Katie, I'm the one who works overtime so I can get extra money, or I'm the one who went to school so that I could gain these skills for my job, or I'm the one who tasks my body and, and taxes it with, with this work that I'm doing. I'm the one who pays for my bills. Well, the truth is, God has enabled you with health that you need. God has enabled you to have a job, to have a house, to have giftings to serve the church with, and he expects each and every one of us to be generous with what we've been given. But maybe some of us are here today and feel like we've been giving out of compulsion or reluctancy in both our tithes and our offerings. And maybe some of the reason you, you feel obligated to give are because a spouse or a parent or a family member or a pastor has told you that you should or because that's what you've always done. And if you're in a season where you feel as though you're not in a place yet of being a cheerful giver or maybe you haven't been giving at all, I encourage you to take some time and intentionally pray that God would build this desire in your heart and that he would grow your generosity while you continually respond in the discipline of giving. Not one of you could spend time in prayer with God, genuinely asking him to give you this heart of generosity and cheerful giving, and then come back to me and tell me that God told you that he doesn't want you to be generous. And I know this because that's completely countercultural to the heart of God and his will for your life. In the Gospels, Jesus told his disciples to sell all of their possessions, give their money to the poor, and follow him. God's heart is that his people would be generous. Maybe this isn't you. Maybe you feel like you're doing okay in this area. But for all people, no matter what stage you're at, I encourage you that every time you give, that you would ask yourself, how am I giving? Am I giving generously? Am I giving cheerfully? Lord, help my heart posture to be fixed on you and, and help me to give the, with the right attitude and with a cheerful heart. It's so important to make sure that we're always checking our heart and that we're always giving from this place. Um, testing our heart posture towards this idea of generosity in our giving. And as we move on to verse 8, we're going to see how Paul brings some more clarification, just as I was talking about, to verse 6. It says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And there's a key word worth mentioning here in this passage, able. God is able to make all grace abound to you. Here, Paul is focusing on God's ability, not his necessity or guarantee to bless. God is able to bless, but he's free to choose whom, how, when, and to what degree he will bless us. And when he so chooses to bless, the result will be that in all things, at all times, believers will receive all that they need and will abound in every good work. Paul is talking about sufficiency. And the Greek word used here is autokeia, which is a word that describes the state of someone who has directed life not to accumulating possessions, but to eliminating needs. This word is used to describe a person who has taught themselves to be very content with little. People who are content with little will be able to give far more to others because they want so little for themselves. And as people, we oftentimes want so much for ourselves that we feel that there's nothing left to give to others. I know I'm super guilty of this feeling, you know, like I can't give as much to this because I want to save up the money and buy something for myself that's honestly probably so pointless. But maybe I'm the only one with my priorities out of line sometimes. 
But the point that Paul is saying is that God is able to give believers all that they need, not all that they want. And we see this, we see that this is Paul's intention in how he uses the Greek word artikeia, instead of using other words that would describe receiving the things we want over the things that we need. And that's not to say that God doesn't give us the things that we want at times. But Paul is making it clear here that God is able to supply for their needs and that the people don't have to be selfish in their giving, but can trust that God will sustain them in their generosity. In chapter 8, verses 1 to 5, Paul references the Macedonian people, where the grace of God enabled them to be and to contribute generously out of their poverty. It is the same for us. Paul assures readers that God will supply them with plenty for their needs at all times, and he uses a repetition to carry this point. All things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Friends, God is generous, supplying all that we need, so we, and I'm speaking to myself here too, we don't need to be selfish and hoard everything that we have, because being selfish isn't going to supply for our needs. It's only God who can do that. But even more importantly, the goal of these divine supplies is not primarily for the believer's wealth or personal pleasure. God supplies so that believers may abound in every good work, so that they will be free from worry over necessities and may focus on fulfilling the commands of God. For Paul, having all that you need, having all that you need means having enough for every good work. Does this mean the same thing for us? And when God blesses us with resources, it's not so that we can have more, but so that we can give more to others. He gives so that we can share with others. And the most valuable thing about money is that we can use it for every good work. It's a resource that should be used in the service of others. So I encourage you to ask yourself, am I being a good steward of my resources? So Paul then quotes Psalm 112, verse 9, when he says, He has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. And Paul is using this quote to remind believers that God is able to do all of these things. And he continues on the idea of giving rather than hoarding as he commends the one who has distributed freely. And in this verse, Paul also mentions giving to the poor. And this word poor here is only actually, this is the only time it's used here in the New Testament. And it's used to describe those who are dependent on charity. And in Greco-Roman culture, they would actually avoid giving to the poor because they assumed that it was pointless. And they thought this way because the only thing they could get back from these people, from the poor, the only thing they could get back for repayment was praise. And they deemed praise worthless. And yet we see that the biblical concern for those in poverty drastically differs from this view. In fact, Jesus said that those who feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, and who clothe the unclothed do so to Jesus himself. And this shows us his heart for those in need. And as Christians, our goal is completely countercultural. We should give to the poor because it leads to praise, not, but not them praising us. It should lead to them praising our Heavenly Father. And this should be the only reward that we seek because it's the most worthwhile reward possible. And the last part of this verse where Paul talks about his righteousness endures forever is actually highly debated by scholars. And they're asking who Paul is talking about. Is it God or is it man? But here, it's more likely that Paul understands this righteousness in the citation to refer to divine righteousness, 
since God is the subject of the previous verse. This idea also stays in line with what Paul has been saying throughout the entire passage, that generosity comes from God. The Lord is gracious and merciful to provide all that we need, and he shows his righteousness in scattering to the poor. So the charitable acts of Christians, then, are all a part of the larger righteousness of God by which they themselves live and in which they remain forever. So their righteous acts, our righteous acts, are taken as acts of God. And this brings me to my next point, which is in verse 10 and 11, it's titled, The Result. So then Paul follows verse 9 with two allusions from the, New Test- from the Old Testament. Sorry, He references Isaiah 55.10, which praises God as the one who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. And then he draws from Hosea 10.12, which promises a harvest and blessing for those who sow righteousness. And so these two ideas go together. And Paul uses them here to assure the Christians that God would not ignore their generosity. God is the one who will multiply the resources of the Corinthians. And as they use these resources to meet the needs of the Judean Christians, he will increase the effect of that righteous deed so that it will produce a rich harvest of unity, love, and thanksgiving. It's only God. He is the one who provides, scatters, and multiplies. He is the source of the seed, and he is the one who produces the crop. None of this can be done on their own doing. It's only God. And in the same way, none of what we do, either in gaining our seed, our money, or it being used for ministry produce a harvest, none of that is our own doing. It's only God. The harvest of righteousness that Paul references comes from God, but humans do play a part in our righteous deeds. And the righteousness that we become through Christ's sacrificial death is shown in our sacrificial generosity to others. So then a lack of generosity calls into question whether or not we have truly received the righteousness of God. And this reminds me of a passage in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 6, where Paul said that he planted the seed, Apollo swatted it, but God is the one who gave it growth. Yes, God is the one who gave it growth. He's the one who made it all possible, but we have the privilege to partner with him. We have the responsibility to plant and water the seed. We have the responsibility to give. And this should fill us with joy and excitement as we anticipate and wait for the harvest that God is going to bring. And I I remember as a child in one of my grade school classes, I remember that we would plant seeds while we were learning about planting and growth and whatnot. And I remember planting the seed and coming back to school the next day just so excited to see if this plant had grown. And I knew that it would probably take a while. I mean, we're growing a whole plant here. But I continued to water the seed and do my part while I waited in anticipation for the plant to grow. This should be the same attitude that we have. This should be the same with us. We should do our part in giving and wait in anticipation to see how God is going to use our generosity to further the kingdom of God. God makes us righteous through Christ, and he gives us seed for a harvest of generosity. He gives us the seed, but if we don't plant or water it, then we won't produce a harvest of generosity. Paul then continues to say, You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So in the first half of this verse, Paul is basically just summarizing what has happened and and what he means, that God will provide the means for them to be generous. He's not promising material blessings, but reiterating that as we are enriched and given material blessings, the purpose is that we would use them to be generous in every way. So if the reason why God is generous in giving people wealth is so that they can become generous to others, 
then the way that we use our money actually becomes a litmus test for our relationship with God. If God is being generous to us and we are not in return being generous to others, then that should sound off some alarm bells that our relationship with God is maybe out of balance. But this enrichment that Paul is talking about is not just material things. We see that in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 7 that Paul rejoiced that the Corinthians had been enriched in every way in all their speaking and in all their knowledge. They did not lack any spiritual gift. The riches of the Christian life come sorry, the riches of the Christian life before the return of Christ are primarily the blessings of the Holy Spirit. He is the down payment on the inheritance um, that we will receive when Christ returns. And so when the Spirit is poured out on believers, they are made rich in every way. So in this light, Paul's idea becomes clear. If the Corinthians gave generously, then they could expect an enrichment on their lives by the Spirit. And this would then naturally lead them to be more generous on every occasion. But what is the ultimate reason for this enrichment? This enrichment to us, which will lead to us being generous in every way, ultimately produces thanksgiving to God. Here, Paul is saying that he and his company would be blessed by generous giving. And he's pledging that through us, so through Paul and his companions, that their generosity would result in thanksgiving to God. The apostle would praise God joyfully as he saw them fulfill this responsibility to give generously. And so knowing that generosity leads to thanksgiving to God, this should be encouraging to us in two ways. First, it should lead us to want to be generous to others so that they will thank God. And second, it should also encourage us to show our thanksgiving to God when we are on the receiving end of others' generosity. So some of you may already know the story, but since getting engaged, Christian and I were praying that the Lord would open a door for somewhere for us to live after we get married, for sure. So God used a couple and their generosity and actually provided us with a place to live free. And this couple has been enriched, and now they are being enriched and generous to others in every way. This is a prime example of this verse. And once it was confirmed that this place would be ours in September, I remember Christian and I just being so thankful to God and just worshiped him and thanked him, thanking him for his provision in our lives and for the generosity that he had given this couple. You see, the generosity of this couple to us produced thanksgiving to God. Church, what a privilege it is every single time that you and I get to contribute to others thanking God, and we get to contribute to this by being generous in our giving. So my final point for today is the reason. And in these last few verses, we're going to really be taking a look at the reason why we should be generous. So this serving, this service, sorry, this ministry of giving generously isn't just a service to the poor, but it's also a service to God. We see this in verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. In Philippians, Paul describes the provision of monetary gifts as your service, which is later described as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. We honor and worship God in our giving. It's an offering. It's a sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. Brothers and sisters, make no mistake that giving generously is a sacrifice. I'm not naive enough to believe that it's not, 
but it's a sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. This ministry, the ministry that you and I are a part of when we give generously, is a service to God because of the thanksgiving and glory that it brings to him. The recipients of this godly generosity cannot help but lift their voices in thanksgiving to God. Our generosity is intended to bring praise, glory, and honor to God, never to ourselves. And Paul's primary focus here was to honor God. And he's, here he's trying to encourage the Corinthians to fix their eyes on this focus also. Is this our focus when it comes to our finances? Do you and I view our finances in the way that we give as a ministry and as worship as we honor God? Senator Church, this has to be our focus. Of course we should have the focus on supplying the needs of the people, but if our main goal isn't to do so, to bring glory and honor to God, then we're missing the mark. And this next verse, verse 13, recalls Paul's description of the Macedonians in verses 8 to and how they proved themselves in severe affliction. Now we see here that Paul is saying that through their contribution, the Corinthians would also prove themselves. As in chapter 8 verse 8, he had mentioned how this giving would test the sincerity of their love for Christ. So the way that we give tests the sincerity of our love for Christ. But church, know this, God does not always test us through affliction. And some of the most difficult tests come when we must prove ourselves obedient in times of prosperity or wealth. You know, it's common and easy for us to run to God when things aren't going so well, but it's equally as important that we do so and we're equally as obedient when things are going pretty well. And as the Corinthians would fulfill their promise to give, they would prove the true condition of their hearts. And this would provide the Judean Christians with a basis upon which to glorify God. The Jewish Christian recipient should interpret this expression of authentic love from the Gentiles as a sign of God's miraculous grace on all people. And the gospel of Jesus Christ brings reconciliation to people. And Paul also talks here about the submission that comes from the confession of the gospel of Christ and how that will lead to God being glorified. Friends, our confession of the gospel must be accompanied by obedience and submission in every single area of our lives. Let me say that again. Our confession of the gospel must be accompanied by obedience and submission in every single area of our lives. You know, it's easy to say that we believe in Jesus Christ, but it's another thing entirely to put our money where we say that our faith is. But I praise God because I see this obedience and submission to the gospel being out, lived out here at Centerview Church. So thank you. Thank you for your give, obedience to giving to the needs here at Centerview Church. You have provided so many people with a basis to glorify God. And you have proved yourselves in the sever- sincerity of your love for God. And here Paul is saying that as they give, the recipients will respond with prayers for them. What a reward that is. I mean, I personally think that's the best reward. That's pretty cool. And these churches would long for them and would continually pray for them, as it says here in verse 14. And so now Paul is speaking about the building of relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles. Gift giving was the primary way that friendship was established in the ancient world. And so here Paul is hoping that this gift will break down the cultural bias of the Jewish people as they recognize that God's grace is being poured out even on the Gentiles. 
and that these two groups are co-laborers in Christ. You see, your giving here at Center View enables us to do the same, to build relationships with both the church and the unchurched alike. And this spreads much further than Mississauga as your giving enables more than a dozen missionaries and other ministries across the world to do the same. Again, this generosity would lead the Jewish people to prayer. And Paul knew the importance of intercessory prayer. And he was often encouraging churches by letting them know that he was praying for them. What an encouragement that is. Imagine how wonderful it would be to know that many churches throughout the world were praying for Centerview. I, I think that would be pretty crazy to know. It would be an amazing, encouraging reward for me, personally, anyways. Um, and we're coming to an end here, but in verse 15, Paul is led to praise himself. He writes, Thanks be to God, and he reflects in adoration for God's inexpressible gift, which makes all of this possible. The gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. The grace of Christ was shown in him, becoming poor for our sakes, that we might become rich. And I'm speaking spiritually here, not materially. This was God's inexpressible gift to us in sending his son to die on the cross for our sins. Here, Paul is overwhelmed by the thought of Gentiles in Corinth joining with other Gentile churches to provide for the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. He's overflowed with joy that all these churches would join together in the praise of God and in prayer for one another. And he closes this section on a note of confidence that the Corinthians will comply. So he offers thanksgiving to God. This thanks is offered to God, who is the author of all perfect gifts. The gift of salvation, the gift of God's Son, and the gift of God's grace. All of our giving is carried out in the light of God's inexpressible gift. And they, and this we, remember thankfully Christ's sacrifice and God's grace to us, it should lead us to give diligently, unselfishly, and cheerfully. Our giving and gifts give us the opportunity to model to others the same kind of inexpressible gift that God has given to us. And, I was pr- and as I was personally preparing for this message, this verse specifically led me to really ask myself, and I encourage you to do the same. Do I understand how generous God has been to me in sending his only son on the cross to die for my sins? And does the way that I use my resources and the way that I am generous, does this reflect my understanding well? And as I come to a close here, I want to make this clear. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. My goal is not that you would give more, but that you would give yourselves to God more. I want each one of us to surrender every aspect of our lives and to live in obedience to God's word. Giving is just one of these areas. But I pray that each of us would genuinely posture ourselves in surrender in every area of our lives. See, Paul's pretty clear here about what we are to do. But I want to encourage you, to encourage me, each one of us, to reflect and make sure that as you continue to give or as you begin to give, that you would do so out of obedience to the Lord. Not out of obedience to me or Pastor William or Roger or whoever else. It has to be out of, done out of obedience to God. And yes, as we give, there is the opportunity to receive reward spiritually or maybe even materially. But we should be motivated to give out of love, not out of reward.
The reason for our generosity should be to bring praise and honor to God and should be from this desire that we have to minister to others. Church, I see this desire to praise and honor God and minister to others in you. I want to commend you because your faithful and generous giving to the ministry of the church has enabled us to truly further the kingdom of God. I know that your generous giving to the Nepal bunk bed fundraiser has led Pastor Puspa, and I'm sure all of the students who will now have a place to sleep, I know that it has led them to praise. I praise God because your generosity in giving enables us to pay our rent and to come here every Sunday and to minister the, to the community. Your giving enables us to have people on staff to care for the flock and to care for God's people. I want to say thank you because your giving is furthering the kingdom of God as it provides us with the resources that we need to move to doing young adults bi-weekly instead of quarterly. You are reaching the young people in Mississauga because of your giving. And I want to thank you because your generosity in giving allowed us to have our first ever kids summer camp. And the children in, in this church, in the community, were given the opportunity to grow more in their relationship with God and in their relationship with others. So thank you. Your giving is furthering the kingdom of God and is proving yourselves obedient to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. Father, I thank you for this gift that you have given us, this inexpressible gift that you have been so generous in sending your son to die on the cross for our sins. Father, I pray that this understanding would truly um, permeate our mind, Father, that we would have a deep grasp and understanding of what it is that you have done on the cross for us, Father. And I pray that this truth, this this gift that you have give, given us, I pray that it would lead us to in turn be generous to others, Father, so that they can in turn turn and praise you, Father God. I pray that in all of our giving, in our money, in our time, in our giftings, whatever it is, Father, I pray that we would do so with this desire to be obedient to you and to bring glory, honor, and praise to your name, Father. So I pray that you would help us, Father, surrender every area of our lives over to you. And I ask all of this in your name. Amen.